Hello and welcome to another edition of the Short Side Option Podcast. I'm Chris Sork alongside Dilu as we look back at K-State's 31-12 loss at the hands of the Baylor Bears. Uh, second straight uh, conference game, the Wildcats have, uh, have lost coming uh, up short again to Baylor. Uh, another game which uh, looked very similar to the uh, road game against Oklahoma State where K-State just wasn't able to do much offensively, and they dropped their uh, conference home opener to Baylor by a score of 31-12. to uh, Dilu, want to welcome you in now. Um, great to see you again, as always. Uh, unfortunately, K-State didn't have much luck going offensively, uh, didn't have much of anything going offensively really against Baylor. Uh, last Saturday, and they go into a bye week now uh, before uh, hosting TCU, uh, which will be the second of three straight home games. But uh, like I said, it was just another game where K-State really didn't do much offensively, and uh, that was ultimately their demise against uh, the Baylor Bears. Yeah, for the second straight uh, game, K-State's defense, you know, does okay uh, for most of the game. Uh, but the offense just was completely non-existent through about three and a half quarters uh, on Saturday and didn't do too much in that final uh, half quarter. But where do you start? K-State came out trying to get something going through the air um, again for the second straight uh, game where K-State comes out trying to establish a passing presence early. Uh, this time they tried to integrate Malik Knowles into it who... Uh, was already banged up a little bit, came out, dropped a couple balls, um, but was targeted early and often uh, before exiting the game, uh, I believe in K-State's second drive. Yeah. Um, and then after that, K-State was just totally, uh, I mean, inept trying to maintain drives. And, you know, the team continues... Uh, to get away from what we thought their offensive identity was, which was power run between the tackles, and trying to force uh, a passing game that uh, just really wasn't much of a threat on Saturday. Well, let's go ahead and get into kind of the nuts and bolts of this here. K-State's obviously banged up at wide receiver. Uh, no, Malik, no Malik Knowles for, for all intents and purposes on on Saturday against Baylor, when you look at this um, this wide receiver core, Schoen had you know I guess the best game out of anyone. Him and Phillip Brooks kind of flashed a little bit, but it's still a, a group that just doesn't have much explosiveness. And yeah. stop. Yeah, no, that's true. And the the problem is that uh, you know Schoen is K State has about four guys who would make decent enough second or third options at wide receiver. I think Schoen uh, fits that bill. Brooks fits that bill as well. I mean, you get down a little farther and guys like Landry Weber, he could be a possession guy. Um, But nobody on this K-State wide receiving core that saw significant time on Saturday is really that threat downfield that's going to require defenses to play two high safeties. And so when you're missing that threat, teams can just uh, pin their ears back and focus on the run and take solace in that 
they're not going to get absolutely devastated by a single pass downfield. And I think that that's really impacting what K-State's trying to do on offense. Well, with what K-State is doing offensively, so much of it, uh, of what K-State apparently wants to do is predicated on running the ball. Now, through the first three games, and maybe I'm the maybe I just felt this way. Maybe you know everyone was feeling this way. I don't know, but I felt pretty darn comfortable about our running game holding up against most teams in the conference. Uh, you know, going on the road uh, to Mississippi State. Now, granted, it's not the same Mississippi State, um, the the same Mississippi State team that we saw come to Manhattan a few years ago. But it is an SEC defense, and for a team that should be, you know, a six or seven win team in the SEC, that's generally pretty staunch on defense. You're pretty impressed with how K State ran the ball. Now let's uh, let's uh, I guess flash back to these last two weeks for K State, okay? And we've got against Baylor, averaging. Let me look here. I've got in front of me a whole whopping three yards a carry. On 42 or on 40 attempts, also with the offensive line giving up 15 tackles for loss. Okay, and then against Oklahoma State, we run the ball for just under four yards a carry, uh, while Oklahoma State uh, has has four tackles for loss. So not a huge uh, TFL day for them there. However, I don't really know what the identity of this team is. I think it has to be on the ground because. We just, quite frankly, don't even have uh, the semblance of horses to really, you know, make our make our hay throwing the ball. However, I don't know if I think our running game ha- necessarily has the chops to to con- to move the ball at a decent pace as we move the the rest of the way here through the Big Twelve schedule. Well, and here's the most frustrating part of this: is number one, I think clearly the odd man fronts of Oklahoma State and Baylor uh, presented issues. For this K State offense, and whether that's um, whether that's Courtney Messingham getting too cute and overthinking things, and trying and assuming that teams are going to be focusing on the run, uh, and so he tries to anticipate that and play ahead of it and pass, um, or, or whether it's just the offensive line's blocking assignments just being confused against an odd man front, something about this uh, 3-3-5 is just putting Thompson's and Messingham's brain in a pretzel. Because on Saturday, the really odd thing is that there were opportunities for K-State to run. I mean, there were periods where Baylor was playing too high, and they were showing favorable fronts to run against. And when K-State would run against those fronts, K-State would have some success. But too often, K-State was trying to pass against defenses that were set up, at least pre-snap, to stop the pass. And obviously there were times where K-State ran the ball that wasn't successful. But my point is is that K-State needs to be focusing on the run first and foremost. That if, a, that if there's an opportunity for K-State to run and it's a standard down, then K-State needs to run because with how hamstrung our passing offense is, it's it's just foolish to pass when the defense is giving you the run. And so you couple 
those bad decisions with whatever's gone on with our offensive line in these last two games, and you get just putrid offensive performance that we've seen against uh, Oklahoma State and Baylor. Okay, and I agree with that. I think I think we're on the same page where the the skill position talent is just not there. So if K-State's going to make any hay on the ground, or if they're going to do anything offensively, it has to be first and foremost on the ground. We, we see that eye tie. I do want to transition a little bit shortly here to uh, K-State's quarterback, Skylar Thompson. Throws for a career-high 218 yards. Which is bizarre that it's that he hasn't ever thrown for 218 yards before, right? No, not really. I think it's. I think it is. Particularly that uh, Oklahoma State game two years ago. I you think you recall all those bombs yeah, he had exactly. to Pringle, and that didn't add up to 218 yards. What if I told you he was 10 of 13 that game throwing the ball? Well, that would. He had make 204 sense. though. I mean, so sniffing right around there, but. Uh, I want to get here and say, and I think we're going to get into this probably a little bit later as well as we, I'm sure our, our uh, fine listeners are, are maybe asking the same questions that I'm about to ask you here, uh, D'Lu, but stats with, with notwithstanding, let, let's, let's throw out you know the numbers here on Skylar Thompson so far. Using your own eyes and your evaluation of him, do you think he has the chops really to to be a, a a starter in the Big 12 Conference or, or a top-flight starter. Not necessarily the best quarterback in the league, but do you, do you see him as anything more potential-wise than a middle-of-the-pack quarterback in the Big 12? Yeah, I do, actually. Um, now, it, it I want to guard that by saying that I fully acknowledge that he's had two bad games in a row. And not just because of the shorthandedness at wide receiver, but he's made bad decisions and bad throws. And, I mean, you he had two turnovers on Saturday, both of which were devastating. Yep. And so I fully acknowledge that he's been bad so far in Big 12 season. But, man, he's got the arm. He was making good checks during that Mississippi State game. So he's shown flashes of being... A competent Big 12 quarterback. It's for whatever reason he just hasn't put it all together yet this year against teams with a pulse. And we can go back and you know we talked a little bit about Mississippi State, but man, K State only had 270 yards of total offense that game. It's not like K State that big put that, up, pu- that kick return was huge. Yeah, it, but it's not like K State had a dazzling offensive game. No. And so, maybe those first three games were a bit of a mirage when it came to K-State's competency on offense. Um, But with regard to Skyler, it's just really hard to tell right now because, you know, we have several guys getting... We have several true freshmen on the field on Saturday for starters. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Heron was getting time, Youngblood was getting time, Irvin was getting time, and so it's not like he's playing with a full deck uh, in terms of experience offensively. Um, and his decision making left a lot to be desired, but he's got the tools to be 
a good quarterback in the Big 12. He's mobile enough. He's got a good enough arm. At this point, he's old enough. He just needs to put it all together. And it's hard for him. It's going to be hard for him to do that with when his number one wide receiver is Dalton Schoen. Yeah. And I feel like it's really tough to put all the blame or I, I think it's tough to assess how you want to place the blame for K-State's recent offensive woes. Quite frankly, I'm going to ask myself the same question. I don't think that he has the chops to be more than just an average quarterback in the Big 12. What makes you say that? Well, one, I don't think he does have the arm strength to, to really push the ball down the field. I also don't think he has the— To who? No, I, I'm just saying. I'm not. I'm not even saying. I'm. You're just. You're, I'm you're just saying he doesn't have the physical strength. Yes. even if we did have. Yeah, even if we had, you know, wide receivers that were capable. I and that's respectfully disagree, but I I understand. I don't think he has the the arm strength to necessarily make all the throws. I don't think he's got a, a noodle arm by any stretch. I just don't think he has a a howitzer necessarily. Well, I don't think stretch. he's Patrick Mahomes out. I no, guess. and I'm not even saying that. I'm just saying I don't think he's got even. I would say he's got average to slightly above average arm strength. Okay, but that's okay. That's average in the Big Twelve, and I also don't think I think his decision making process. He's all often very uh, eager to leave the pocket, and last year it was a case of him taking bad sacks, which he has done not so much, not as much this year. He's just more apt to just escape the pocket. Took a bad one on Saturday. Took, took a bad one on Saturday, but nothing, not as many as he had taken in, in previous years, it doesn't seem like so far. And, you know, running the ball, he has some flashes of there, but he, he's not going to, he's not a dynamic runner by any stretch. So for me, I just see someone who's talent wise probably good enough to be an above average quarterback, but decision making and. That's probably the biggest thing I have against is the decision-making. There's been some comments made about leadership, whether if he's a good enough leader. I'm not going to necessarily judge that because I'm not on the inside. I don't know. But um, I do think that the decision-making skills make it a little – that's probably my biggest knock on him. However – I the second part of this is it's unfair to really blame him for the lack of the the uh, lack of offensive production because of the skilled player deficiencies that we have. So I think this grade is somewhat incomplete on him overall because he's kind of playing he's playing uh, Texas Hold'em poker where he, his cards are ten four offsuit pretty much every other time. And it's tough to be a really good poker player when you don't have a lot of cards. However, I just don't necessarily see the traits there. Um, what did you think about play calling on Saturday? Because a lot's been made of uh, Courtney Messingham um, so far, and especially in these last two games, uh, where I think he's been uh, the target of a lot of criticism in the minds of K-State fans. Yeah, and I'll be honest— Drew, when I approached this season, I thought K-State's offense was going to be pretty bad. thought it wasn't going to be very good. Fair enough. And the first three games, I had to look at myself and, and look at this team and say, wow, maybe I was just, maybe I completely shortchanged what this offense can do 
maybe Courtney Messingham in this style of offense can work in the Big 12. I had some serious concerns about course Courtney Messingham as a, as the offensive coordinator, having gotten fired at Paul Ro- with Paul Rhodes at Iowa State. Didn't really know how I felt about that, and through the first three weeks, I was eating some crow. Now these last two weeks have have really kind of changed that a little and bit. And you've just been smiling like a butcher's no, dog, because you're right. No, I'm not smiling like a butcher's dog at all. But the concerns that I do have are, what what is our identity, for one? Because the first three games appeared very apparent. These last two games, it's been as much of an enigma as anything. Um, I One thing, it's not necessarily the offensive uh, play calling necessarily with, with Messingham, but for the life of me, I don't understand why we didn't go for uh, go for it on on at the end of the third quarter with um, when we kick the field goal. when we kick a twenty nine yard field goal with Blake Lynch and I'm gonna see I kind of want to see what that uh, what the down and distance was but I know it was fourth and short uh, to make that seventeen Not to six short short well let's look here because I fourth and four yeah you picked that fourth up. and four at the eleven. Forty percent of the time. Yeah, I would have. I think you needed to. I think you needed to go for that because at that point it makes it. Let's say you score a touchdown, you make it ten or uh, you make it seventeen uh, ten, make it a touchdown game. I agree. Uh, I I thought, thought that was bad. I thought that was a bad job, right there. I think you got to go for that. Now that decision rests with climate. Yeah, exactly. So that's not necessarily messing him, but I think that, that I thought that was the worst decision in terms of like a single call necessarily in the game, but. Play calling wise, it's it's almost tough to point the finger too much at him. If you're not gonna if you're not gonna make Skylar Thompson necessarily accountable for his performance, what do you say about the offensive coordinator when he doesn't really have uh, the players in, in in part that he needs to be able to run his system? No, I think that's a good point. Um, there were some concerns I had. I think the fourth down uh, that we did go for in that game, I can't recall how many we went for there. Um, K-State won a two on, on fourth down. Well, the one that we ran just right, I think it was a uh, shotgun uh, give up the middle on fourth down and short. I thought that was a little predictable. I also don't love handing the ball off and shotgun on fourth and short. No, me neither. Um, but what really baffled me was just the lack of urgency on oh yeah, that touchdown drive in the <clears throat> the final, the kind of the garbage time touchdown. Right, drive. yeah, they were garbage time, but it became garbage time. I mean, yeah, we had we the did. ball inside the ten yard line with, I mean, that last set of downs inside the ten yard line felt like it took three minutes. Yeah, well, we we started that drive with ten minutes uh, down by eighteen, so the game's. Looking out of reach at that point, especially with how we played offensively. We score there with, with six minutes left. The ESPN, where we're at here, doesn't necessarily give you a great play-by-play in terms of what, what time was at certain downs here. But, yes, you're absolutely right. There was a, a complete lack of urgency it's there. Just, let's get a if, – if we have a hurry-up offense, that's a time to use it because, I don't know, it was – that was frustrating. Just some general themes – you're seeing, it seems like, less and less pre-snap shifting. Uh, it seemed like that was a emphasis uh, early on, at least during the first two games. Um, 
And so it seems like we're getting away, like you said, from what our identity was supposed to be, which is just a power running game against some of these faster uh, defenses in the Big 12 that are built to stop the spread. It seems like we're passing into those when we have our offense gives us an advantage when we just stick to our identity. Um, and so I think that's been a little disappointing with uh, Messingham. But overall, I think the philosophy is sound. Um, but we've just it just seems like we've been getting away from it these last two games. Well, let's let's give the offense a break here, and we'll we'll switch our uh, our discussion over here now to the defense. And I don't know. I didn't think it necessarily a terrible performance uh, from the defense. Of course, there were some long plays that kind of kind of did K State in. Uh, John Lovett had a couple long ones, and. Same thing, kind of, I think. It's like the Oklahoma State game. You didn't necessarily feel bad about how the defense played. Now, granted, Ch- uh, Hubbard ran for 300 yards, but the defense was pretty much out there the entire game. And when they're put into, when they're just out there a lot and they're also put into tough positions, it's easier for me to give them a little bit of a break. But let me get your thoughts real quick on, on kind of what you saw from K-State on, on, uh, on Saturday on the defensive side of the ball. For the most part, I thought they played okay. I thought they did uh, some good things. I thought they did a decent job of pressuring Brewer. Um, yeah, got some, got some good licks on him. Um, you know, just wasn't quite able to um, make enough plays probably defensively. Uh, not. I thought if Casey was going to have a chance to win this game, they probably needed to force a turnover or two, and uh, they weren't able to do that. Yeah, I mean, that's true. Um, and, but for most of the game, I thought they played pretty sound with the exception of a couple drives. Uh, in particular, that 91 play or 91 yard uh, drive that Baylor had uh, on the first drive of the second half uh, that started with a really nice punt. Um, but, and then that obviously, that long. Uh, uh, busted play where two K State defenders just yeah straight I think up that was missed an yeah and Daniel Green and both uh, I think it was Daniel Green and Goolsby I believe or maybe it was Wayne Jones I can't remember who the safety was I knew Daniel Green was on part of that but yes and the uh, the long run by Lovett but you know it's hard to be too critical there because they're just blown assignments I mean and that's easy to say but it's it's like you can pinpoint where the mistake was, and there's nothing too confusing about it. It's just the guys made the wrong play. Um, and so those issues don't seem all that problematic to me just because they're easily fixable. It's something that is, you look at it and you say, well, wrap him up, bring him down. It's not like it was just busted coverage after busted coverage, and the defense just looks totally lost. Yeah, you're thinking more it's correctable errors in terms right. of just tackling. Yeah. And so, no, I'm fine with how the defense played on Saturday. I don't have all that much criticism other than what is already obvious. Okay. I We, we kind of see eye to eye there. So, let's – um we, we've, to, we've put talked, it, to put it lightly, the, the, the offense was the far more yeah, concerning and that, unit. And that's why, you know – 
a lot of this all comes back to the offense. Is when, when the defense is out there and put in tough position time after time, it's going to be tough for them to keep teams off the board. I mean, that's just the way it is. Um, so I have to say I kind of see it the same way as you do. Let's close the book on Baylor, and let's – I'm going to ask you a question. So K-State is 3-2, and 0-2 in conference play. Maybe about where we thought we'd be overall record-wise at this point. They're probably still a game ahead of where we probably a game ahead of. I, mean, I would have uh, about, about three and two, I guess. Yeah, give or take two and three or three and two. You'd, that's probably where you'd, you'd have had us at. Yeah. So we've got uh, TCU next uh, after this bye week, and a game I think that's really probably a must win almost if you really want to think about going to a bowl game. I don't know if I'd go that far. Um, you have KU West Virginia still. Uh, on your schedule, along with Texas Tech and Iowa State at home. I mean, it's there are winnable games. There are a few. I mean, right now, I think that the only two games that I'm ready to uh, concede on would be would still be Oklahoma at home and when we go Texas. down to Austin. Yeah. Uh, so I think from a emotional perspective, it feels like this is a must-win game. But even if you lose this game, I think that there are still four games on the schedule uh, that are winnable for K-State. In in other words, I think K-State could realistically lose this game and still win seven games in the regular season. Um, That said, I think that this is uh, a game K-State would certainly like to win against TCU, especially uh, given the Horned Frogs performance uh, yeah. on Saturday against yeah. Iowa State. What was the final on there? 49-24. to 24. So with Iowa State scoring 49 points against usually a stout um, TCU defense, but you know TCU hasn't necessarily been the same kind of defense that you're maybe accustomed to under Gary Patterson. I know uh, Brock Purdy had himself a heck of a game, uh, throwing for 250 and running for 100. I uh, don't think K-State's going to be getting that kind of production out of out of their quarterback. But um, at this point, I think this game is really, uh, like I said, a must-win for K-State because I'm beginning to think that almost pretty much any game on the schedule is going to be very losable if you can't score more than two touchdowns. That's true. And, there, you know, a lot of these other teams in the Big 12 – I mean, maybe outside of KU, who who do you think we have the offense to really say that we can just throw it out there and score twenty eight points on? I mean, you don't have to exclude KU from that. I, and I was going to say, I don't even know if KU's no. I think, I, KU I think probably I, has better from what I've right now. from what I've seen in these first two games. I mean, there's not a team in the conference that I feel great about putting twenty eight points up against. Yeah, and that's a tall order if if you can't score the equivalent of four touchdowns in this league, that's a tall order for your defense um, to hold the opposing team under, the, the opposing offense under that mark. And so that's very true. When when you when I say that there's plenty of winnable games left sure, on the schedule, yeah. by that same token, there's not a single lock the rest yeah, of the Yeah, and that's the thing, too. I mean, like, those might be winnable. They might be, you might be, oh, well, I think it's 64 to we win that game. Or I might think it's, oh, well, I think it might be, 40-60 that we win that game. You know, that's still a winnable game. But you're not going to win all your winnable games. I think that's that's probably the most likely scenario. Right. 
And I think if K-State has really, I, don't, I won't say any chance of going to a bowl game. I shouldn't say that. But I think if they want to go to a bowl game, this is a game they have to win. Yeah, and it's it's a situation where we need to see some improvement. Well, and that's the thing, too. With Oklahoma coming in the next week, you're starting 0-4 in conference play if you, if you drop to TCU. Um, so... It be kind of come. It kind of comes like that 2015 season. You start out three and zero, you lose the next six, and then you win the final three to go to a bowl game. It could be somewhat similar in terms of that big losing streak right in the middle of the season, and where I don't know if we'll win that necessarily have a six game losing streak or if it'll be, you know, we'll lose five out of seven and then, you know, go on a nice little run to to close it out. Whatever the case is. But it starts get the I guess the math to get to six wins starts looking a little bit tougher uh, if K State's to lose to uh, to TCU. Absolutely, and so uh, coming off off the bye week, K State fans I think need to see some improvement offensively and at least some coherent plan. Uh, for how this offense is going to operate without uh, without Malik Knowles, because over the last two, and I'll even toss Mississippi State in there if we want to get right down to it, uh, the three, last three games, K-State's offense has left a lot to be desired in terms of uh, just gross production. Yeah. Um, one other thing, too. I'm going to ask you to make a prediction, D'Lo. As we record this on the ninth day of October 2019, does K-State have six wins at the end of the season? Yeah. K-State, K-State's going to find a way to, to win three more games. Um, who they come against, I'm not entirely sure. But I think uh, the defense is good enough, and I have uh, I, you just got to have faith that the offense is going to figure out a way to start putting more points up on the board. Icon, same question. Well, Dilu, this is a tough one because I have to really, you have to really kind of twist my arm to get there. And I say no. I think, I think K-State finishes out with five wins. Final win, two wins are over KU and West Virginia. All right, folks. Well, so that's my as of now prediction. Maybe, uh, maybe after um, I drink that cup of coffee that you owe me, I uh, might, uh, I might perk up a little bit. Might uh, have a little bit uh, more positive reaction there. So we'll see. So I, I don't think I forget. Don't think I forgot about that cup I, that you owe me. I know you. Uh, you got the better of me last week, but uh... and also I just want to. I want to say another thing real quick. I, people were treating me very unfairly after I after I picked Baylor to win because folks. Now I'm just trying to give unbiased football analysis, and many people were treating me very unfairly. Well, yeah, they were. They were treating me very unfairly. Well, that's that's true, but sometimes you have to be knocked down a peg or two, icon. Well. You know, I wasn't happy that K-State lost, of course, but, uh, you know, shame on you Twitter users that were unfairly criticizing me. I thought that was lowbrow. I don't. I thought it was deserved. You did? Time. Yeah. Yeah, I believe you were one of those that was that was giving me an especially hard time. Wasn't that, isn't that right, D-Lo? Well, you're supposed to be a K-State icon. Hey, 
Like I said, man, I, I call it like I see it. So, well, folks, that'll do it here. We'll, we'll get more into this here in a little bit. Uh, but after a short break, we'll be back with a Wildcat legend. And also, we'll answer your questions in this week's segment of Ask the Icon. Join us after a short break. All right, welcome back to this week's edition of the Short Side Option Podcast, where we are getting into our segment that we call This Week's Wildcat Legend. But Icon, before we get into this week's Wildcat Legend, I'd like to tell our listeners about our friends out at Assurance Exteriors. Yeah. Uh, kind of a rainy day in Kansas City today. Maybe some hail. But uh, if you experience any hail damage today, or next week, or even the week after, go ahead and give our friends Assurance Exteriors a call. This is a business run by a, a proud K-State alumnus who'll get your roof taken care of. If you uh, have siding issues, we'll take care of that too. Uh, for a free estimate, call our friends Assurance Exteriors at 785-231-8838. Again, that's 785-231-8838. They'll take care of all your roofing and siding needs. That's Assurance Exteriors. Total outward care, total inward assurance. And, and deal. I just want to add, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be a hailstorm. That, you know, I know there was some bad weather that rolled through the area recently. But, you know, if you're just thinking maybe, you know, maybe it's time to, I need to get a, a new roof on the house. Because it, it can increase the value of your home. You know, just have them out there for a free consultation. Once again, that number is 785-231-8838. And you know what? They'll get you a free consultation. You might not need anything done. He'll tell you if you don't need anything done. He will. But but you keep that number there so when you, when you do need something done, they'll be right out there for you. That's right. And then when you talk to him, tell him your friends at the short side option saying you. That's right. All right. With all that out of the way, Icon, let me tell you about another friend. This friend played at Kansas State in 2008 and 2009. Oh, all right. He came to Kansas State via the College of San Mateo out in oh, California. 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 Oh, that's, uh, <laughs> that's Ari you're that's doing right. That, huh? that's, that's right. That's pretty good. Thank you, Del. Uh, number 50. Okay. Who else could I be talking about other than Hanson Sekona? Now, as I said, uh, Hanson Sekona... Came to K-State via the Bay Area out in California, uh, where uh, he helped the College of San Mateo to a 9-2 overall record um, while he was out there doing that. Uh, for K-State, he played in all 24 games uh, that he was on the squad for. And over that period, he amassed 15 solo tackles in 2008, his junior year, uh, 23. Uh, and then added eight more assists uh, that year. So 23 in total. Three and a half of those tackles were for a loss. And then he tacked on four solo tackles a senior year along with four assisted tackles. And half of those tackles were for a loss. Uh, totaling uh, 19 career tackles, 12 assists, totaling 31 and four tackles for a loss. Um, Hans Sakona. What a wildcat, Chris. Absolutely. What, what, what stands out uh, 
for you for uh, Mr. Sakona. When I think of Hanson Sakona, I think of his just great enthusiasm that he had out there on the football field. He was always flying around, making plays. And, you know, I don't necessarily have a single memory that, um, that, that necessarily sticks out. I just remember that he was always out there running around, being active, and uh, always out there trying to make the big play. Absolutely. And not only was he a, a, a great performer during his time at Kansas State, but he's still involved with the gridiron. Uh, these days, you can find Hanson Sakona over at uh, Portland State University. The Vikes. That's right. Uh, he's, he's been at Portland State since 2017. Before that, he was coaching at the University of Washington, uh, where he was a graduate assistant on the defense for the 2016 Pac-12 champions. Oh, okay. So he's got some good pedigree there with uh, Chris Peterson. Yeah, that's exactly right. And prior to working at Washington, uh, Sakona was uh, at one of his... Uh, one of the colleges that he called home during his time playing football. Uh, he was coaching at San Mateo um, and did a good job there. Coached the defense that allowed just 237.2 yards per game and only 15.9 points per game. Um, and so not only was he a fantastic player, but he's developing into a wonderful coach down at the FCS level, and I'm sure we'll see his name uh pop up for some jobs here in the next couple of years. I think so, too. I think that's well said. All right. Well, that about wraps up our uh, time talking about Hanson Sakona. Uh, Icon, I, do you have I, anything to add? I do have something to add, uh, uh, Drew. Uh, I was listening, or I was on my way up to Manhattan, and I got a text message uh, from one of our um, listeners in uh, the Golden Bear State. And uh, this individual... Uh, was calling to attention some of our uh, comments uh, that we made towards residents of the state of California. 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 Uh, that he uh, that he that he found them offensive, and uh, I responded to him saying uh, that we'll take his comments into consideration and we will offer no further comment at this time. So I just wanted to let everyone know we're aware of these comments and that's it, really. Yeah, we hear you. Uh, and we move on. And we move on. Yeah, but course. not before closing this chapter of this week's Wildcat Legend. Now, with that chapter closed, we're going to open another chapter in this episode of the Short Side Option Podcast, a chapter that we like to call Ask the Icon. And in this chapter, uh, what we do is uh, we read your questions and Icon answers them. That's right. And he'll do. do it. And he'll mm-hmm. do it. Um, That's right. That's absolutely right. And the way to submit those questions to us and have them read to the icon and answered by the icon uh, is by tweeting them at us, uh, which you can do by tweeting us at uh, our Twitter account, which is at TSSO underscore podcast or using the hashtag AskTheIcon or texting them to us or trying or just talking to us on the street. Um, and so we'll get right into it. Our first question comes from listener Marshall at fear underscore the underscore swamp. And Marshall asks, Hello, gentlemen. Long time, first time. Icon, although you are one of those dreadful Cowboys fans, how do you feel about the recent performance of K-State alum and future Chiefs superstar Byron Pringle? He has one game. He's a future Chief uh, superstar. That's right. Uh, I mean, I wish Byron Pringle nothing but success. He's a great story. Uh, but uh, I need to see a little bit more before I, I, I call him a superstar. 
All right. Well, we here at the Short Side Option, notwithstanding the icon's comments, uh, want to issue a congratulations to Mr. Pringle. Absolutely. After his 100-plus uh, yard he performance. Did, no, he did. I didn't get a chance to watch the Colts game, okay? But I did see he had a, he had a quite a good game. So now I don't know when his question was asked because I know we've missed a few here lately. I know he had that big play against the Lions. I did see that game. So maybe that's why I was maybe a little bit down on. But, no, Mr. Pringle, uh, really nice story. Uh, of course, uh, K-State fans may uh, may or may not be aware of kind of his background. Uh, kind of came from, kind of got caught up in some rough times. But, uh, you know, a junior college product from Butler County makes his way to K-State and has uh, enjoyed some great success at, at K-State and, and enjoying some further success with the Chiefs. All right, our next question comes from listener Big Dog in Madison. And uh, this week, Big Dog asks, what will it take in our game against TCU for you to get back on board the climbing train? Well, um, Big Dog, thank you for the question, of course, as always. Uh, it's simple. And uh, I'm going to go out to our friends uh, to, steal a fr- to steal a quote, to steal a phrase from a certain franchise uh, that uh, resides out there in the Golden State, California. That's just win, baby. That's all I need to see. Just win. All right, just win. Baby. Baby. That's right. All right, moving on. Listener Mahomes season at KSU underscore funny 33 asks, how are we going to fix the mess? And then in parentheses, offense. Is Coach Mess who we thought he was? And then in parentheses again, a bad OC. That's a great question. That's the million-dollar question. And we, we've kind of labored on this a little bit uh, here, not only last week, but this week. I think before the offense really starts looking a lot better, you're going to have to get better players in here. Uh, you know, more talent at the skill positions. Uh, I have not been impressed with the offensive line since the conference play started. So for a senior-laden group, I, I expected a little bit better out, out of them. But, um, you know, this bye week's going to be big for K-State. They need to uh, hopefully get some rest for uh, Malik Knowles, get him healed up. But I think a lack of talent's the biggest pressing concern. As for Messingham in the offense, uh, is he just a bad offensive coordinator? Time will tell on that, but I've had those concerns uh, from when he was hired. And I think the TCU game will give me further insight before I, I can really make that decision, but I'm, I'm going to give him another week. As for Nilu, I think he's... I'm optimistic about Messingham's future. And I'll leave it at that. Okay. Um, next question comes from listener Stephen at BeantownCat22. Stephen asks, Hello, Mr. Icon. What percent do you give to the following factors for Skylar Thompson's woes during the last two games? All right. He wants you to divide up the percentages okay. here. Go. Okay. Number one, Knowles injury. Number two, opposing defenses. Number three, other factors. Okay. Um, Knowles injury, 40%. Opponents' defenses, 10%. Other factors, the other 50. And I have to ask a follow-up here. <clears throat> what are the... What are the uh, other factors that you're considering? Offensive line play. Um, I, you know, I don't think the running backs are super explosive. James Gilbert has had some issues putting the ball on the ground now, which 
That's not gr- that's not what you want. It's not what you want. No. And don't forget Jordan Brown. Well, and he he's was obviously not available uh, for the Baylor game. That's my point. Yeah. Oh yeah, exactly. No 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 Jordan Brown. Uh, but also, I just think you know offensively we're just limited by talent, um, and not just necessarily at uh, at uh, the wide receiver position, but also offensive line, running back, and as well as quarterback. All right. Good division of blame there. Uh, there. Yeah, there's plenty of blame to go around. Our final question this week comes from listener Mahomes Season at KSU underscore funny 33. Longtime listener asks, am I wrong in thinking that this style of offense is not going to work at this level? Even Alabama has gone towards more spread offense, and their players are a touch more talented than any we'll ever get. You know, he does bring up a good point, and... To me, it depends on how you want to fashion your team. So I've always thought a really good peer, two really good peer programs for Casey. I want I want to get your opinion on this deal as well. So I want to, I want you to be uh, participating with this here. Okay. I think two really great peer programs for K State are Iowa and Wisconsin. Okay. Now, I, I think, think Wisconsin's I think, had some more success than Iowa's West, had over the but, last 10 years. Yeah, but when I mention Wisconsin, I think of more of just the style of football. Mm-hmm. With, with what we want to do with... Um, I saw some graphic the other day of top 10 teams. How many four- and five-star players they have on their roster? Or top 300 ESPN sure. players? I can't remember exactly. Yeah, what, how many high-profile blue-chip recruits do they yeah. have? Uh, as Phil Steele would say in his... Uh, magazine VHT is very highly touted, um, and Wisconsin had by far the least at like eight, eight or nine, and now K State's even fewer probably, but I think that footprint and that or the footprint of those teams geographically similar to K State, I would I would say you you would agree with that, Ye- sure, especially more so Iowa, yeah, but. Um, you're able to go out and run that kind of style of offense. You can you can have some success doing it. Now, what I will say is, you know, with the the he does bring up a good point about it. Alabama really shifted their style of offense to, you know, spreading the ball out a little bit more from what was a pretty much a pro style run heavy team. So I think you can look at those teams like Iowa and Wisconsin who have been. Pretty darn consistent. Uh, Wisconsin at a higher level than Iowa, but Iowa's had their years too of going to Rose Bowls, and you know they were really one play away from going to the college football playoff just a few years ago. Product so, of a weak schedule, but pro- yeah, and that's but but nonetheless, but I mean, nonetheless, still an nothing to shake team. a stick at. Still yeah. a top ten team by the end of the year. Yeah, so I think that you can play the style of offense and it work. I think you might have a little bit smaller margin of error though. Does that? Yeah, I I, 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 want, to get, I want to get your thoughts. on No, that, I though. think you you pointed out a reason that I think the offense makes a lot of sense, and it's the concept of zigging when everyone's zagging. Sure. And I think that especially in this run heavy ball control, uh, clock control style, is that it does do a lot to bridge some of the talent deficiencies that I think. You know, case it's, it's going inher- to be it's going to inherently it, have for the rest of eternity. I think that that's just. I should um, say rest of eternity. Eternity is a long time. But. but I but I think you're right. That I think that that's just something that K State fans need to accept. 
uh, as a given. Now, obviously, the degree to which K-State's playing at a talent advantage against the top teams in the conference can vary. I think that if Kleinman can start bringing in top 40, top 35 style classes, that that talent gap's not going to be as apparent or wide. But I do think that um, that, that style of offense will, uh, will lend itself into masking some of those talent deficiencies um, that do exist, even if they're not as big. And that's because you you control the line of scrimmage, you control the ball, and you limit the number of possessions. And so just practically speaking, in a game that has fewer possessions, then one... If there are fewer possessions, it's more likely that the worst team wins. Right? I mean, that's just... Yeah, a, I think that's, that's just a logical fact. That if... The fewer possessions, the worst team has a better opportunity to win. And so all that to say is that I think this style of offense probably doesn't lend itself to a to an Alabama-style program that can go out there and get whoever they want. Um, but I do think it lends itself to the Wisconsins of the world, to the Iowas of the world, who are trying to compete but at a talent disadvantage. So I think I look at it this way. I look at it in levels a little bit. You have the Oklahomas, the Alabamas, that can go out and get talent upon talent upon talent. Okay, They all run a certain style of offense. Think about the teams that... <clears throat> excuse me, um, that are at a significant talent disadvantage, but somehow maintain competitive. Army, Navy over the years, service academies. Well, those are a little different. A little bit different, but they do run a, a, a grind the ball out, option triple option style of play. Then you look at the teams that, you know, have had success on a relatively consistent basis. I, I think of teams like Wisconsin that has had um, ha, that have had that uh, you know pro style running game, Iowa as well. Stanford. Maybe, I was I was about to say Stanford, but of course they've had some super high end talent too. Um, you know, in, in but not a ton of it. But sure, just but like, I but I think that they're probably they've probably punched above their weight in terms of uh, recruiting talent yeah. over the years. Because they, they're never a top 10 recruiting. They're, they're consistently in the top 30, top 35. Yeah. And, um, but no, I think that's, I think we were both on the same page there. Yeah, I mean, and, and just one other thing before we leave this, is if you want K-State to go out there and be a high-flying spread attack, well, good luck, because, I mean... We kind of wanted that, though. You're right, but, but think of it practically, that there's a lot of other fish in that pond. Mm-hmm. And if you're playing the same game as everybody else, you're playing the same game as Texas, same game as Oklahoma State, same game as Oklahoma and Tech and West Virginia and even Baylor, then you know what? Good luck. Because then you're just... Then K-State has no right to finish any better than their recruiting ranking. Yep. And there, more often than that. not, K-State's going to be in the bottom half of the Big 12. Good question. So, great question. But I do like, in, in short, I like the idea of K-State being a run-oriented team um, because I think that that's, that suits K-State uh, to compete with, to punch above their weight. Uh, our final question this week comes from listener Ethan. Uh, Ethan asks, Watching KSU in the 90s, I always loved seeing in the newspaper or hearing on the radio which bowl reps would be at our game. 
And then seeing them all walk in with their crazy blazers. I'm talking about the Fiesta Bowl guys. Yeah. Because they're the ones with the uh, yellow. Yeah. Yeah, and there's all sorts of them. But yes, that, that, that's most notable for sure. All right. Ethan says, it's really no longer part of the game anymore. Is there any example similar to this that doesn't deal with the actual game itself, but were a big part of college football that you miss that no longer exists? Yeah. So what are you nostalgic about in terms of some of the peripheral items uh, in college football that you don't really see today? Now, Drew, I had to ask you for a little bit of help on this one because I was having a tough time thinking of one, and then you, you brought up a good one. Let's hear it. Coverage maps. Oh, coverage maps. Yeah, I those are great. Because you, I mean, now obviously having lived in Kansas, you're you're always gonna get the K State game, but back when not every game was nationally televised, when there was such things as maybe three or four games going on at a time, you wanted to see how big of a swath of the United States your team was gonna be viewed on. Yeah, it was that big recruit in like Louisiana gonna get to watch the game against uh, the two thirty kick against. Uh, Texas Tech? Or was he going to be subjected to, uh, let's see, maybe a the, North Carolina-Clemson game uh, that is also in the same time slot? Yeah. Who knows? Who knows? Uh, so that was a good one. But I think back to when I was a little bit younger, I um, I got a big kick out of the Big Cats. I was just going to say that too. The Big Cats. Yeah, the Big Cats are Walking cool. around the stilts. And then another thing that I always thought was kind of cool, and they always seem like they did this for the biggest game on the schedule, um, is they'd hand out pom-poms. They don't do that anymore, do they? They do sometimes. At I least in the student section. That I, I... The last game I remember them doing that at, and I could be completely wrong here, but the last game I remember them doing that at was Auburn in 2014. You know... I almost want to say that they did that for the uh, the the Nichols game this year, maybe. But correct me if I'm wrong. I may well, be wrong. Maybe but they do. I, I do think it happens more often than than your. Okay, and that, and that could be true. I just maybe maybe they did. I just always kind of remember it happening more in a in a big game type thing where you've got you know two, whether if it's two ranked teams or or what the case is there. But those were those were a couple things that came to mind for me. And I, I, and just a point, I I think bull reps still go to games, right? Yeah, I'm sure they do. And I, I remember they did as recently as like within the last few, couple of years. Yeah, within the last like three years, I was gonna say. <clears throat> Excuse me. And um, now maybe it doesn't just get the kind of notoriety it used to. I'm not quite sure, but um, yeah, I I think those are. Those are some of the things that came off the cuff to me, anyway. I think I even may have seen a well, you've been up there, you've down been, in, in the press box last well, year. You've been up in the press box, so you would know better than I would. Oh, suckers. We didn't even go to a bowl last Waste year. Wasted time. Yeah. Well, uh, D. Lou, is there anything else you'd like to like to say here before we wrap this up? No, let's put uh, Baylor behind us. I'm all for that. Well, uh, D. Lou, I have to ask you one question. It's the bye week. What are you going to do to enjoy your bye week? Same thing I do every bye week, man. Get in the tub. Heal up. Come back ready to uh, be healthy and uh, continue throughout the rest of the season. Well, I think that's great advice. And what, I are think, you, what are you doing? Uh, well, I'm going to probably, you know, uh, read some read some books. Um, about, about sports. About sports, of course. Yeah. And, uh, and, you know, watch some sports on TV and 
watch, get on my computer, watch also videos about sports uh, as well, too. So I'm kind of excited about that. You yeah. Know? So, right well, folks, that'll do it for this edition of the Short Side Option. Uh, thanks for listening, and uh, be sure to follow us on Twitter at TSSO underscore podcast. Uh, that'll do it here for the Short Side Option. Thanks for listening, and go Cats. And go Cats.